0: Chapter 43, Aftermath Awkward was an understatement for Quan. He didn't know what the hell to say and was still feeling the effects of the immediate afterglow, smiling but not able to put two words together. No shame was evident on Nasty's face as she packed her tits back in her bra and gave everyone a big hug for their rescue. Luke smiled, thinking that her new name suited her well. I know everyone's happy to see us, Luke said. But it's time to get off the set of this little porn flick and haul ass. We got trucks to catch, he said. Jack started to speak, but Luke interrupted. Bosco's fine, by the way. Shoulder graze. He's got the lab coat dude we saw with Serena under arrest out front. Jack's face relaxed. After running into Luke and finding Quan and Nastity grinding it out, he forgot about Bosco. Relief registered in a smile. What about Beth and Serena, Jack asked. Luke shook his head. They got away. Shit! Jack physically twitched. Luke's right. We've got to go. They made their way quickly through the plant floor and out the front of the building. Amon stopped. Man, our car is all the way across this field in the other direction. It'll take forever to get there, he said. Luke pulled out Magnus' keys. I got it covered, I think. There weren't many cars in the parking lot. Everyone had bugged out. But then again, Luke didn't know if any of them belonged to the late Dutch asshole anyway. Luke hit the panic button on the key fob and was greeted by the glorious sound of a car alarm and lights flashing frantically from a large Cadillac Escalade SUV parked in the front row. He grinned and gave him the eyebrows. Eamon and Luke grabbed Gomes as Bosco continued to stand watch. "'Where's the tall fucker?' Jack shouted. Luke spoke up. "'He got away, too.' Great, Jack yelled, clearly pissed off. We need to find that bastard. Luke grabbed him by the shoulder. Dude, he got away as in he's on the fucking chopper got away. We've got to get the hell out of here, dude. Chastity walked up to Gomes. You know the other asshole that got away, she asked. Gomes shifted nervously and she continued. I had something for him, but I guess I'll have to give it to you. You. She said, delivering a vicious blow to his nose, snapping his head back before tossing him into Magnus's SUV. "Shit," Amon blurted, admiring Nastity's work. He looked around quickly, as if remembering something. "Where did the trucks go?" Amon asked. Luke pointed south. That way, and they've got a good head start. They all jumped into the Escalade. Jack, unusually quiet in the front seat. Luke could tell he was mulling something over and tried to connect with him, but was shut down. Jack took a cell phone out of his pocket and punched in a few numbers. Luke looked at him suspiciously. Who are you calling, he asked. Jack pulled his lips tight. You'll see. They made it to the end of the long driveway when Jack pressed the call button. Instantly, they were rocked by a fireball erupting from the factory. The sky burned bright orange. A few seconds later, an additional plume of orange erupted in the distance. Confusion and awe registered on all of their faces. Luke looked at Amon. I thought we got all those charges from the building. Amon's eyes were wide, then wadded up his face. Apparently not, he muttered. Jack didn't look up, his eyes fixed on the phone still in his hand. He rolled down the window and tossed it out. The trucks and the virus, they're taken care of, he said, the words locked in his throat. They all kept their mouths shut out of respect for Jack, knowing that he took no pleasure in his actions. At a minimum, two people were dead because of that phone call. But at least the virus transported in those trucks wouldn't be released into the world. Luke turned the big SUV on the main road and drove slowly to the spot where he and Eamon had parked their ridden rover earlier. They were about to get out of the Escalade when a huge bank of floodlights erupted in front of them and gun-wielding figures clad in black tactical gear emerged from the side of the road. The men surrounded the car. Assault rifles aimed directly at them. Fifteen hours later. Luke sat comfortably in his leather seat listening to the familiar sound of engine turbines whine as their jet screamed down the runway. Glad to be out of the tight Invisi-suit he had worn for hours, he began to feel the blood flow return to his extremities and the embarrassment of having been seen in the outfit started to dissipate. He and Jack stared intently at the squat, powerfully built man in tactical gear, downing a bottle of water in the seat across from them. He had a scar across one cheek and a short gray buzz cut. Rhodes was his name. Colonel Nathan Rhodes. At least that's what he said. Luke strongly sensed that he was telling the truth, even though his uniform bore no witness to his name or his rank. Goddamn impressive, son, Rhodes said, looking at Jack. Amon and Quan shifted in their seats several feet away, still uncomfortable with the mystery surrounding their experiences over the past fifteen hours. Rhodes continued, I find it hard to believe that you were able to destroy that payload without any military experience. That's something, he said, his southern drawl thick in his voice. Jack shrugged and looked out the window at the midday sun. They had been talking all night, and he was done. It was written all over his face. Fifteen hours prior, the men in black hauled him out of their SUV and hustled them back to the airport. A two-hour ride with humorless military types who didn't utter a word en route to the Glasser jet. It wasn't until they got to the hangar that they separated Jack and Luke from everyone else, and Colonel Rhodes formally introduced himself, taking the time for a thorough interrogation. Luke was tight-lipped, but it didn't matter. Rhodes could have been a federal prosecutor, the way he laid out the events of the last few days. He knew a lot, but there were gaps he was trying hard to fill. Separating the brothers was a tactic that would normally have worked in his favor, but Jack and Luke's psychic connection was still up and running. It was as if both of them were in the same room at all times, hearing the questions and crafting their version of the events on the fly during each of their interrogation sessions. In the end, as one would suspect, their stories were in complete alignment. It worked and Rhodes reunited them in the hangar afterward and began acting like a paramilitary version of a dinner party host prior to boarding the Glasser brothers' plane with them on the trip back to Vegas. Luke swirled his bourbon and locked eyes on Rhodes, addressing the colonel's previous statement. Yeah, I am really happy that you appreciate my brother's exploits. Hell, maybe it provided a bit of entertainment and a reason to get out of the house for a bit. But don't you think it's time to drop the flattery and start giving us a few answers? Luke said. you like to get to the point. Yeah, I've heard that about you, Rhodes said, staring at Luke. Then he turned slightly and smiled at Jack, who remained expressionless. So, you're the brains of the outfit, I can see, Rhodes said. Jack gave him nothing and stared right through him. Rhodes ran his hands through his stubble and dispensed with the unnatural smile, settling into what Luke sensed was his normal cadence. Your brother's got a pair on him, that's for sure, but you're the one after," Rhodes finally said, looking at Jack. Jack's stoic exterior cracked, and Luke was visibly pissed. No shit, Luke blurted. That part we figured out. It's who's after us and why. That's what we care about. Either fill us in on that shit, or feel free to let yourself out, Luke barked. The citation hit a bit of turbulence, and Rhodes' face twisted itself into a painful version of a smile. Obvious he'd much prefer to get up and beat the shit out of Luke on general principle. He took a deep breath and continued. Yeah, I can do that. Rhodes continued, weaving a story that lasted all the way back to Vegas. Jack and Luke clung to every word as he painted a picture of an expansive criminal enterprise rooted in the legitimate business community called the organization, and how he suspected that Beth, Magnus, and the goon named Charles fit into it. Magnus is dead, and while he was a shithead money launderer, He's pretty harmless. That girlfriend of yours, Beth, on the other hand? By the way, her name's not really Beth. We're fairly sure of that, he said, delivering a side note. Well, she's a nasty one. You're lucky to be alive. If she's who we think she is, then she's killed more people than cancer over the last five years. She's one of the organization's most prolific wet work talents. That is, before you became her pet project. Jack spoke up. You said you know what you wanted with me. Rhodes nodded. Some algorithm, math equation, something you use to pick stocks. From the limited information we have, some of your large-scale stock purchases have caused the organization's members to question who the hell you are, what you're doing, and how you know to make investments that parallel their activities. Apparently they think you're a little too good at it, and they believe you're actively fucking with them. Throwing a monkey wrench in their stock market machinations. Jack considered this. Beth said something like that to me, but I've got no idea what they're talking about. I don't have a magic formula. It's fucking absurd, like something out of a bad movie. Jack still unable to figure out how he was such a threat. Doesn't matter whether you do or you don't. What matters is they think you do, Rhodes said with a wry grin. Luke could sense that Rhodes was close to making his pitch and interjected. So what is it? What do you want? You want something. That much is clear. Just spit it out, for the love of God. You're killing me with this B-movie plot line you're working, Luke said flatly, his eyes locked on his passenger. Rhodes smiled and put up his hands as if he was busted. Okay. Yeah, well, we need your help, he said. That had been an hour ago. And now Rhodes was sitting comfortably on their jet, sucking down their mineral water and single malt scotch, eyeballing the shit out of them and waiting for some form of an answer as they prepared to land in Vegas. Aside from the big wind-up and the smattering of facts, it was obvious to Luke that Rhodes was shooting straight on the big stuff and minimizing what he didn't know. He certainly wasn't bullshitting about needing their help. What kind of help? Doing what, Jack asked, finally. Rhodes downed his glass of scotch. I'm prepared to offer you roles as full-time consultants. Luke squinted like he had just took a massive mong rip. Why the hell would we want to do that, he asked. Maybe I didn't put a fine enough point on your situation. The organization? Well, son, they're not going away. And they certainly won't give you a pass. You can bet your ass they're going to keep coming. Rhodes said matter-of-factly. Whether you work for us or you go it alone, I think it's safe to say that your lives as you currently know them, well, it's over. Colonel Rhodes paused for dramatic effect. So, gentlemen, the question you should be asking yourselves is simple. Do you want to be the hunter or the hunted? The cabin was uncomfortably silent as Luke and Jack shot thoughts back and forth between each other at the speed of light having a detailed conversation in complete privacy. Amon and Quan sat in a state of semi-consciousness, wondering what the fuck their employers were getting them into. Jack and Luke considered everything that had happened, what their lives would look like, and contemplated what they were doing with their consulting business. Luke could hear Jack's thoughts, but more importantly, he could feel that Jack was restless. Jack told him about the self-awakening he had had in the small guest quarters of Greenleaf before sneaking out. He was unhappy with not knowing whether the work that he had been doing was valuable or worth the effort. Had they been helping shithill corporations and agencies work for good or not? They had no clue. Luke sensed that Jack wanted more, that this had taken a toll on him physically and emotionally as well. You really want to do this? After everything you've been through? Luke asked telepathically. We don't have a choice. You know it. We have gifts. What if we're the only ones that can actually make a difference? What will it feel like if we don't even try? I can't live that way anymore. I can't just do nothing, Jack replied. Something clicked within Luke at that moment. He knew he had sat on the sidelines for years letting his brother take the lead, run the business, and be the adult while he systematically turned fucking off into an art form. Jack needed him. More importantly, they were involved in something bigger. He would go along with whatever his brother wanted. He instinctively knew that. He also knew they were about to go down a path that would change their lives forever. Luke formulated a thought, only to have Jack finish the sentence. What about them, Jack blurted toward Quan and Eamon, who looked positively scared shitless. Oh, won't keep the band together then, do you? Rhodes asked, looking at the lot of them, sitting quietly to see who would fuck up and talk first. The Glasser crew remained silent, and Rhodes finally spoke, shaking his head. Yeah, what the fuck? Sure, all of you. Jack wrinkled his face. So I get it. You and your band of merry men dressed in all black prefer secrecy, but really, who the fuck are you guys? If we work for you, then who's going to be signing our checks, Jack asked. Rhodes downed the rest of his scotch and smiled. Well, the Department of Agriculture, of course.